0: There's no place to escape to. This is the last hot on the left. <laughs> That's when the
1: cannibalism started. What was that? You know what I want to start off today, man? It's, you know, every once in a while, I feel like we, you know, doing the show for a decade. Uh-huh. Yeah. Every once in a while an episode comes up on one of our birthdays.
2: <gasps> Happy birthday, Henry! I'm not asking for that. Well, you are. I'm not asking for it, and I will <laughs> Happy not accept birthday, it. Henry Zabrowski. I will
1: not accept all
2: of this love <laughs> and affection. I will oh, not. I push it. Henry, I push it away. Henry, I have a gift. <laughs> 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 it's my dookie. Oh,
1: my I God, you really did I. shit. <laughs> I can't believe you just fucking shit in your own hands, you <laughs> animal. <laughs> That's disgusting. But the you know what I want to start off today is, guys... Honestly, let's give a big fucking round of applause for Jeff. Now, we're going to be talking a lot about Jeff the talking mongoose today, and I want to say a lot of people are 7 p.m. this week, 7 p.m., people going out there, they're applauding for the, the emergency workers, love it, but for one one la- last night, my applause was for Jeff. All right, there it is.
2: Welcome to the last podcast on the left, everyone. I am Ben, hanging out with Marcus Parks. Hello. Staring at the beautiful birthday boy, Henry Zabrowski, And I'm just getting younger. Well, that's
1: not how birthdays work. You're not Benjamin No, no, no. You could tell by the way my neck is starting
2: to look like the wrinkles in my forehead. Yes, indeed. More like Benjamin Stuffin. Hello. Here I am. Um, All right. Today's episode. I cannot wait to talk about this. I had no idea that this was ever in existence, as opposed to most weeks. Um, So today we're going to talk about Jeff. What's Jeff? Jeff the talking mongoose.
1: Yeah, dude. Yeah, we fucking are. (laughs) not that.
2: It's not that kind of goose. It's not. that kind of
1: goose (laughs) (laughs) you just like making that noise
3: (laughs) so the tale of jeff the talking mongoose took place in the 1930s on a small island between england and ireland called the isle of man during that time a newly arrived family named the irvings claimed to play host to a somewhat unique spirit what started off as a run-of-the-mill haunting evolved into what could almost be described as something close to the John Lithgow classic, Harry and the Hendersons. Oh, cool. Although, did Harry... Harry was abused.
1: <laughs> Harry was just of a different ilk. Yes. And they had to grow to
2: understand each other. At least get a convertible. <laughs> for the poor... For the, poor, for the,
3: for the skunk ape. Come on. Well, in this case... The Sasquatch was a mongoose oh. who had mastered the art of human speech. Now, some of you, including Ben here, might be confused as to what exactly a mongoose is. Honk, honk. <laughs>
2: you dummy! No, I know what they're like. They're more of a marmot. <laughs>
3: God! <laughs> yeah, to give you a brief primer of mongoose, plural mongooses. Mm-hmm. Is that true? Yes, it is. I looked it up. Wow. Oh. Very good. They're similar to a weasel or a ferret. Or a
1: marmot, either one. Or a marten. Because those are around, you remember we saw those in Berlin, these weird little squirrel little raccoon things that eat up people's cars, and they're so cute, but they just kill them by the fucking dozen in Germany, by
3: (laughs) stomping on their heads and poisoning them and shooting them with guns and shit, but they're so cute. Well, amazingly though, it's been found in recent years that while mongooses cannot talk, (gasps) some- Fuck you! (laughs) Whoa! Conventionally. Some species of mongoose, such as the meerkat, the cutest of all mongooses, do actually have their own language that communicates to other meerkats the speed, location, and type of predator that might threaten the meerkat gang. Can we all remember the scene in Big Lebowski when the nihilist threw the mongoose into the
2: tub with Big Jeffrey Lebowski? That was a marmot. That was a marmot.
1: (laughs) Remember that? Again, you're being racist against weasels. (laughs) But this story is unique. Of, of In the world of the paranormal lexicon, in the world of the weird, Jeff the Talking Mongoose is unique because he falls into a bunch of different categories. I've seen Jeff the Talking Mongoose, like top hauntings of the UK. I've seen Jeff the Talking Mongoose labeled as a cryptid. Hmm. Some people that believe that he is an actual physical creature. There's some people that believe that he is a, just a phantom. There's some people who believe he is an astral projection from deep inside of the, the the I'm going to say the dicker hall. If you listen to CW Ledbetter and you read the Astral Plane and try to understand that, you'll see that actually Jeff the Mongoose might just be a living, thinking, astral decahedron (laughs) that pokes its way into our universe and becomes a little mongoose so think about that for a while with a fucking edible up your nose
2: yeah absolutely of course the lead better act very very positive jeff the talking mongoose why call it something as mundane as jeff that was his own choice
1: that's his name buddy yeah what (laughs) this episode also gave me a lot of opportunities to just watch footage of mongooses yeah and they are they are dangerous, dude. They fucking go against them cobras. They don't give a fuck, dude. Them cobras, because they got a little bit of immunity, but still, they fast, man. And they jump back and forth, and they fall, and they bite their little tails. They don't give a shit. They protect the squirrels, man. They
3: bite off your Johnson.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> I'm doing the hog. I don't care.
3: Well, the talk mongoose that we're speaking of today was called Jeff. And in addition to holding full conversations with every member of the Irving family, Jeff was said to be an actual physical being who ate food, played with coins, and even killed rabbits as an offering to the family who gave him a home.
1: Okay. Got to, dude. Fucking Jeff the Talking
3: Mongoose is paying rent. Yeah, sounds like it. From what the Irving family said, Jeff spoke in a voice two octaves higher than a man's (laughs) in a tone closer to a teenage girl. They said he had knowledge of multiple language, sang popular songs of the day from memory, and would even bring gossip from across the island to the Irvings' meager farmhouse at dorlish Kashen.
1: Sounds
2: like they should have named him Karen.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Kissel, Kissel, please leave
3: the Karens alone. They've gotten enough. (laughs) I hate it. I hate it. (laughs) And while you might think Jeff would be a nasty fellow, as most supernatural beings who attach themselves to a family are wont to be, this is ultimately the story of a mostly friendly ghost, Aww. who, for reasons known only to him, established himself as a member of a lonely family of sheep herders. If I were
1: to use a D&D classification, I would call him chaotic neutral. Yeah. I think that he's neutral. And he goes for whatever pleasures him, which you're going to see. Well, whatever helps him and whatever helps Jeff's agenda. And what is Jeff's agenda? He likes bacon without the fat. He loves bacon without the fat. It's his favorite thing on the face of the planet. And whatever it was that got him, which in the end truly reveals his most mongoose-like nature. He likes little bits of food and he's cute as hell. But, oh. they'll also fuck with you, throw a bunch of rocks at your head, you
2: throw chairs around. <laughs> Did you say he likes bacon without the fat? Loves bacon without the fat. But the
1: fat's what makes the bacon so good. But he doesn't, he Not. likes the lean. Okay. He likes the lean. Which is strange, but that's Jeff, man. And this is Jeff's world, we're just living in it. All right.
3: However, the loneliness felt by that family of sheepherders is said by skeptics to be the real source of Jeff the Talking Mongoose. Hmm. Some said that the daughter of the Irving family was just an extraordinary ventriloquist and created the character of Jeff out of boredom. They also called, well, they called her a natural ventriloquist, that she did it.
1: Almost against her will. Those are the original articles that came out, painted her as this sort of like adept who could just throw her voice around. Which a lot of experts say, I mean, you got to be able to kind of figure out how to physically do it. And if it kind of comes out of nowhere, if you're not hearing someone practice vent, if you're not hearing someone practicing ventriloquism, I don't think you just get it. But I don't know. Maybe <laughs> she's like fucking Neo from the Matrix, and they downloaded it into her weird little girl. UK brain maybe
2: it's a scary skill ventriloquism how is that you, you never know who's around <laughs> how many how many poltergeists are just ventriloquists having fun with you
1: well how many times are you going to be on a date with a ventriloquist right and oh, you're sitting my. there and, and how many times is he going to do the trick you're like oh maybe I'm right behind you and you're like cool you know but you know as a woman i'm actually scared
2: of a man behind me i don't know what dating is like
1: <laughs> honk, honk. i've never kissed a woman i'm a retwelloquist <laughs>
3: <laughs> then the father out of his own boredom picked up on his daughter's imaginative creation and took it even further and the mother not wanting to be left out joined in too And over time, the family convinced themselves that Jeff was indeed real, or so the skeptics say. So the dad is being a real LeVar Ball. For
2: those that don't know, LeVar Ball, Triple B B brand, Lonzo Ball's dad, he's a real pain in the ass.
3: (laughs) What? He's trying to use his children for profit. Well, no, he No? he never searched for profit. Okay. It could be said that Jeff might have been the world's longest, most elaborate dad joke a character developed by a father to entertain his bored teenage daughter that got way out of hand and ended up essentially ruining his daughter's life. Hey, she could have at least, she could have become a comedian.
2: Yeah, I mean, so this is a lesson to all the dads out there. It is not funny. to. <laughs> I don't, what's a classic dad joke? I'm trying to think of them.
3: Uh, yeah, a classic dad joke is, Dad, I'm hungry. Hi, hungry, I'm dad.
1: Oh,
2: <laughs> yeah.
3: God! That's
1: a
2: good one. That,
1: my funny. dad used to do this, my dad used to do a running bit We'd go, you kids better stop behaving cuz if not, I'm going to take off my belt. And you know what happens when I take off my belt? And we all the whole family would go, your pants fall down. Oh, that's so, That's so And then nice. he just beat the living shit out of us. Yeah, that's the punchline. No, he never he never hit us. My father never beat us. He never beat us once. He just wasn't there. He was the opposite <laughs> of perfect. beating. Perfect.
3: However, there are also people with more open minds who follow that same train of thought but end up in a different place entirely. Some speculate that the Irvings did in fact create Jeff but through the power of psychic energy. And these people think... It is possible that the Irvings collectively willed a talking mongoose into being as a thought form energy ghost, also known as a tulpa. Do I have to reference the
2: kids from the movie Hook again? (laughs) How they they thought food existed and it happened? You know
3: what? It's kind of like that.
1: Okay. Those kids all still would have died. Yeah, it's possible.
3: (laughs) And some think that this Tulpa was strong enough to actually interact with the outside world. Essentially, for those of you, you know, if you've never heard the Tulpa episode that we did many, many, many years ago, a Tulpa is essentially a being that someone is able to create using only the powers of... Of their own mind. Cool. And
1: there is debate about whether or not it has to be purposefully created because there was, there's examples of a bunch of scientists trying to create a tulpa purposefully and they talked about how Buddhist monks, they also would go ahead and create tulpas to help them around their various monasteries. But then they get minds of their own and do whatever they want. But there's some people that believe that you might be able to accidentally create a tulpa Mm. by simply just feeding into a thought loop of a character that you create and then the more and more you build up this character, the more and more it builds to begin because if you believe the the book, The Astral Plane, we're sitting in a a goop. We're sitting in a constant swamp Mm -hmm. of astral energy that reacts to our thoughts and our words like the fucking slime from Ghostbusters 2. But what it can do is that you can build enough of a mound of it that Mm. it pokes through the astral plane into ours and
2: creates, sometimes... A little mongoose. <laughs> and and who doesn't believe the book of the astral plane? Everyone does. So interestingly, unlike Jessica Rabbit, not all tulpas have to have big boobs. Apparently some but they should. Al- but they should. They really, really should. Well, I don't know if this talking mongoose needs to have big boobs. I think that would hurt.
1: I would honestly, I'd love to see it.
2: <laughs> this is my question, though. If you would put boobs on a talking mongoose you would have to put him on the back. Because if you put them on the front, then you got dragon boobs. Now next thing you know, you just got bloody nipple juice all over the place, which that's gonna hurt the mongoose and your flooring. So then it's then you got boobs on the back. There's a whole bunch of
3: problems. There's a lot of logical problems.
2: I'm, my problem is you put tits on the back of Jeff, you become some kind of
1: prison wife. I don't know what happens.
3: <laughs> so, over the course of this story, we're gonna explore the question of what exactly Jeff was. Was he a Tulpa? Was he a hoax? Was he a fairy spirit, a classic trickster of yore? A (laughs) hob. Or was this an actual, physical, biological mongoose (sighs) who learned how to talk of his own accord? Hey, guys, breaking. The answer is yes.
4: (laughs) All right. (laughs) Woo. Well,
3: it might be helpful at the very beginning to hear possibly the most illuminating quote from Jim Irving, the patriarch of the Irving clan concerning Jeff the Talking Mongoose. He said, quote, No one would ever invent such a bloody silly story. That's the thing. This is a silly story. In fact, No! No! <laughs> Do not tell me that! In fact, some might say it's bordering on stupid. Oh, I'm mad.
1: I'm mad at you for even thinking people are saying that right
3: now. <laughs> but no matter how silly the story was, The fact remains that the Irvings believed in it wholeheartedly.
1: Not only did the Irvings believe in it, their neighbors believed in it. Various reporters saw it. People heard it again and again. It actually kind of, if if this wasn't some sort of giant group trick, like remember that viral story like they did back in the day, the March 7th, that. That old St. Patrick's Day YouTube video where a group of town like town like acted like there was a leprechaun mm. and they're like, "Oh, of gotta course. get that gold!" Like it's <laughs> like, and my, you know, my my father left me this this uh, leprechaun calling flute and all that kind of <laughs> shit. They, it could be that, but if not. It kind of has, like, a body of existence. There's a bunch of people that are... And, and that's why J- Jeff the Talking Mongoose is a... It's a thing that it's hard to shake. It's kind of sticking around. It hasn't yet been fully debunked, except from people just straight up saying, there is no Jeff the Talking Mongoose. Well What you could say about fucking birds,
3: man. You could. <laughs> you could say that about the moon. Regardless of the status of Jeff's existence, though, he was, for a brief moment in time... National news in the UK, and Jeff's existence was investigated as a serious supernatural phenomena by some of the most respected psychical researchers of the time.
2: So, this is what happens when you don't have school shootings. (laughs) Then you're just like, what are we going (laughs) to fill our pages with? They make up crisps. It's nothing but stories about crisps, horrible jokes, and Jeff the talking
3: mongoose. While the burden of proof was definitely on the Irving family when it came to Jeff's existence, as Henry said, This story was never definitively proven to be a hoax, and the (laughs) daughter involved in this story maintained up until the 1970s that the whole thing was true, even if it kind of sort of ruined her life. Why did it? Yeah. Okay, we're
2: going to get into that. We're going to get into that.
3: How did that happen? We're going to get into it. Now, while you may think that the story of a talking mongoose would be a short and sweet affair you'd be mistaken. God damn it. <laughs> no, I mean I want this to go on for days. Because <laughs> author Christopher Joseph wrote a solid 400 pages on Jeff the Talking Mongoose in a book succinctly called Jeff! Wow. Like, Jeff! Like, Jeff! I know Deb. Jeff!
1: No, it's like his Broadway debut. Jeff! He is, because he's a star, man. Jeff is a fun guy. Jeff reminds me of Elmer from Brain Damage where he is he's this kind of floating whatever you want him to be he's gonna be to you and to your family okay but if you read we got an opportunity because of our buddy Neil our man in the UK he gave us the opportunity uh, to read this book because it's out of print and it's one of my favorite books about the paranormal I've read in a bunch of years it is it is compelling and it's why I'm here With a Jeff tattoo
3: underneath my left breast. (laughs) (laughs) 400 pages, quite a tome. 400 pages, yeah. Now, stories of friendly, if inconvenient, visitations from entities are not unheard of in the realm of the supernatural. In 1956, 20 years after Jeff... A girl named Shirley Hitchings in London communicated with an entity calling itself Donald, who declared itself to be the ghost of Louis XVII, mm. the 10-year-old would-be king who died in captivity during the French Revolution.
2: Is that how we're doing time now? A-G-B-G, BG before Jeff? A-G after Jeff?
3: <laughs> That's how I feel. <laughs> However, Donald claimed that he had escaped prison, but had really drowned while trying to swim to freedom across the English Channel. In this case, the ghost became a companion and gave the nickname of Chib to his chosen companion. Also, I want to point out this to everyone who just said, uh, Jeff starts with a J. It actually starts with a G
2: in this case. <laughs> so, hello, you just got
1: trolled. Well, you got that. It's that weird Jeff. It's the other Jeff, which yeah. is always like a, I would ever see a Jeff, it, like a G-E-O-F-F Jeff. I always expected him to be wearing glasses. <laughs> and the other one, because of a J-E-F-F, I've always imagined he's... I always imagine he's cutting up a bunch of Filipino men and taking their penises and putting them in a big fucking pot and making an altar to the, the Lord of Death and shit like that. So if, if I meet you and your name is Jeff, that's that's what I'm thinking. Really, that's a, I see your ID. Highly,
2: highly isolated situation that you just referred to that we can't go into for legal reasons. <laughs>
3: well, mostly... This little girl and Donald talked with each other through writing messages back and forth, mostly discussing boys, particularly the British child actor Jeremy Spencer, whom the young Louis. Had a particular obsession with. Ooh, yeah, that's so cute though. Just you and she, she's like me and my chib hanging out, <laughs> yeah. talking about
1: boys who used to be a king. That's fun. What's it like, my gentle king, <laughs> saying like stuff like that? That's new Gen Z stuff. That's cool.
3: So Louis the lady, Louis the girl. Not a girl. No, it was a boy. Oh, that's the boy. It was a boy that was obsessed with another boy.
2: Ah, I see.
1: Have you ever met a woman named (laughs) Louie?
2: No, that's why I thought it was interesting. I thought we were
3: talking about the little girl. Oh, no. Oh. In another case, back in the 1800s, a Quaker family outside of Newcastle was visited by an entity known as Old Jeffrey. What started off as a classic poltergeist haunting evolved into visitations from a menagerie of ghostly animals, including a white cat... And a little monkey. That's cute. Yeah. Even as recently as the 1990s, there was the Centrahoma stone-throwing spook who announced his existence by throwing rocks at the home of a simple Oklahoma farm family, and the spirit eventually learned how to speak English by watching TV with its hosts. Now, aside from the London haunting of Louis XVII, the other two stories share a similarity. Both stories occurred in relative isolation, and the Irving family, who played host to Jeff the Talking Mongoose, was no different. Hmm. The Irvings were new arrivals to the Isle of Man, having moved there to live a simple life of sheep tenders after the patriarch, Jim Irving, lost his job with the Dominion Organ and Piano Company after the pipe organ business collapsed during World War I. Oh, and
1: lo- oh man, those are some cold-ass
2: pipes. Oh, what a horrible time it was for the pipe organ. Indeed I, it was. When I think of World War I and World War II, I think of mostly the devastation of the pipe organ. And I just feel like <laughs> that But I will is- say it made way for the
1: electric guitar. Because the pipe organ was just sitting in that slot. <laughs> and it's so hard to bring a pipe organ to gigs.
3: <laughs> as far as what they did on the Isle of Man, they did what pretty much everyone on the Isle did to make a living. They were in the business of livestock, owning sheep, goats, a dozen geese, and a few chickens. Now, the Isle of Man itself is a beautiful, yet desolate, and difficult place to live. Hmm. An island where the crows are so big and aggressive, they attack sheep, and the chickens are in constant danger of being carried off by huge hawks. Yeah, dude, it's like Jurassic Park, but (laughs) with bad food. Uh,
2: I'm going to say this. I'm Team Crow. Always have been. I love crows. I think they're so cool.
1: But that's so scary, man. What if you're a little guy? (laughs) You get get to a point where you're just a little man. I I could probably be picked up by four Isle of Man crows, yeah. but I would eventually talk them into my service and use them like Gandalf fucking did, sending birds to pick up my even tinier boys that are doing my missions fucking for me, dude. Gandalf was a delegator.
2: <laughs>
3: yes, he was. Now Jim was not a naturally talented rancher, and usually had to supplement his meager earnings with extra work for more successful farmers in exchange for a sack of potatoes.
2: All right, I just got a question: What is a naturally talented rancher? Just someone born with with shovels for hands? What do you do, <laughs> Ask like, Marcus. like? I'm just a natural. I, I I just took to it right away. What's? The, how do you become a natural rancher? Ask a not
1: natural rancher, Marcus Parks. Too much to the disappointment. Of his father and his father's father. <laughs> his hands
3: are basically shovels! Do you why do you think that the only fucking technique you need to be a successful rancher is digging?
2: Because you've only told me that all you do is dig fence holes. That is mostly what
3: it is. That is a big part of it. Yes, digging holes. I'm just holes going is by the evidence part, that you have presented.
2: <laughs> I know nothing about ranching it's because of the fact that you were not great at it and your family kicked you out of the house. I have no idea what the story out is. Out the house. I don't but know what the story is.
1: But it was because Marcus was the Joffrey to use another fucking eight-year-old reference doesn't matter anymore he was the Joffrey of their family where he was like I only like to tick the holes that was what he was good at that was his entertainment
2: I'm just happy you're up to date with Game of Thrones.
1: <laughs> I also, I don't remember Joffrey having a, a penchant
2: for digging holes.
1: I Uh-oh. don't know. <laughs> oh what am I... What I a, stopped watching it. What I a, stopped watching it. I gave up. <laughs> all right, what am I hearing? Unk, unk. Let's get back to the mongoose. <laughs> oh, look at the mongoose. Oh, let me talk a little bit about the Irvings. The Irvings, they were actually kind of like well-to-do where they were from. They were city people. They went... They kind of lived a fun life when the pipe organ industry fell out. Like so many other haunted ghoul church people, they lost their jobs. So they thought they wanted to go to a simple life and go to the Isle of Man. But what happened was is that because it's so isolated, they kind of became pariahs. They kind of became like very unpopular people within this small community because they were were in a very hard farm. They were in a very hard patch of land to begin with that also, you know, we'll get into it, might have been vaguely haunted. Okay. But there's something about them being isolated that harkens back to the idea of witches and their familiars. There is a story about how, like, oftentimes witches would be, especially back in the day, the reason why they would be accused of this behavior was because they were unpopular. And because they live far away from everybody else, you start to begin, like, stories about them. Mm-hmm. So things kind of already started bubbling up to the surface
2: about the Irving family very early on. All right. So there's kind of the weird family that people tell stories about.
3: Yeah, and they're really not even that weird. Hmm, They're just not from the Isle of Man. Okay. Yes. As far as Margaret Irving went, the wife, she seemed to be built for farm life, at least physically. She was said to be of wiry constitution and strong physique and would often walk four miles both ways through rough terrain to see her mother when she fell ill, and Margaret could do so without getting tired. A hardy woman.
1: (laughs) She was a hoss. She was a hoss, and she had beautiful eyes, honestly, very mesmerizing eyes. People would often call her, they believed her to be in touch with the other side. Now, I mean, one interesting
3: thing about Margaret is that certain paranormal investigators who visited the farm during the Jeff years said that they got a specific witchy vibe from her. And had life gone a different way, Margaret might have become a witch.
2: What does that even mean? She just didn't smell like cow shit. What does that mean? Groovy She's, chick. She just dressed like Stevie Nicks, floated around. All right.
3: Then there was the daughter, Vora. Despite moving to the Isle of Man at the age of 13, Vora adapted to farm life quickly and was soon killing rabbits for food and sale all on her own without a hint of squeamishness.
1: She kind of reminds me of the description of the woman who wrote A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. Where she was very sullen, but also kind of like into herself. She, it's like a picture of a teenager from now, like uh, this time period, kind of dropped into that time period where she mm-hmm. loved getting her picture taken, but she hated being seen in person. She loved, like, she liked these kind of th- fashiony things, but she also. Was very kind of private, and she said that she would often walk the areas around Dorlish Cashin and singing to herself and kind of in a witchy mode as well. It was kind of a little bit of an Adams family, which I gives me it gives me comfort,
2: yeah, of course. And you nailed it, man, because 13 year old girls they love killing rabbits that's the trend. (laughs) I was just following that on Instagram, killing rabbits. If this was nowadays, she would be. On the McDonald triangle.
3: mac triangle. <laughs> she might be a serial killer. Bavora, like all the Irvings, was an extremely intelligent, well-spoken person, which is another thing that set them apart from the local Manx community of simple farm folk who didn't have much use for all that fancy talking on the Isle of Man. Oh. Rednecks but, are the same everywhere.
2: But why didn't, why didn't they
3: take to singing?
2: Why don't really they sing? <laughs> like the sound d- of music? No, just like I mean, honestly, much it's much different than that. It's much darker than that, given the history of this country. But music comes from the farm. Yeah, but why not? Why not there? Music comes from the farm. It, music comes from people farming together. Kissel, they weren't farming. Those were slave workers. I and know the blues I, music no, from them. I'm just saying, that's that's how they pass the time. There's a passing of. I, under- I watched the Johnny Cash documentary. <laughs> <laughs> he used- they used to sing, and his father would beat him, and then he killed his brother on accident. <laughs>
3: now, the spot the Irvings chose as their homestead was called Dorlish Cashin, and the house in which they lived was thought to be at least 130 years old, Ooh. although its style of construction suggested that it might have been much older. The area around Dorlish Keshen had a witchy feel, because it was dotted with prehistoric burial mounds and cairn circles, which may or may not have been used in ancient druid rituals, and may or may not be related to the ancient land of Fae. Ooh, now, cool. There's,
1: there was a lot of talk about this part of the Isle of Man being the land of the fairies, The fairies, as we know, come in many, many different forms. We know them as they can be called elementals, where they are just literally spirits that live inside of rocks. Or they are mischievous entities that live off of the interaction between themselves and humankind. That we help them, like the alien phenomena, we help create them with our participation. Or, and they also sometimes show up. There's some research about how tiny little furry creatures were often seen as the familiars of witches. That they would say, a lot of times they would either show up, unbeknownst to them, they'd have these little creatures just show up and join in their league with Satan or whatever the hell it is that they were doing. Or they purposely called them out and made it in a relationship with the Fae. And sometimes they would turn into a cute little creature
2: (laughs) because it's fun. The only thing I know about fairies is they wear boots, <laughs> according to King Ozzy Osbourne. The which I still me don't me know me 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 what that me lyric me means,
1: now. but it's a great song.
3: No matter what, Dorlish Kushin was known to be a place where strange things happened. Mm-hmm. Years before the Irvings arrived, men digging for some unknown reason found a funerary urn containing mysterious black ashes. Ooh. They reburied the urn, and some years later, a young man hunting rabbits was pushed back by an invisible force on the exact spot where the urn had been buried way back when, suggesting some sort of paranormal significance to the object. Years later, a drunk who happened to be sober on the night in question... <laughs> That's what he said. That's what he said. That's hilarious. He said that he was followed by a ghost near Dorlish Kishen for three miles, and the ghost kept him company by singing hymns and trying to convince him to lead a better life. It's like, yeah, man, I don't need a fucking astral sponsor right now. I'm trying to get home.
2: (laughs) And the ghost looked like a large pink elephant, (laughs) almost like he was going through
3: delirium (laughs) trance. And then, of course, are the tales of local folklore. The Manx, as they call themselves, believed in the Skagunlisheg. Hmm. Is that how you say that? Uh, it's the closest I can come. We'll go with it. I tried to listen to some
1: of the Manx Gaelic, and wow, that is fucking thick, dude. Yeah.
3: It's like a whole other language or something. It really is. I mean, it's not quite Gaelic. It's not quite English. It's it's Manx. Manx. Now, the Skagunlisheg was a malicious ghost who would torment, nip, and pinch its victims as they tried to sleep oh. for no apparent reason. The other local fairy creature was the fenidry. Okay, these trickster spirits, said to be of fairy origin, were mischievous, temperamental, or helpful, depending on how said fenidry was approached.
2: Those are just the those are just the emotions of every human being on earth.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but you got
1: to. We, because, again, these things have their own agendas. When we talked uh, about the Anakian world to everyone's incredible enjoyment <laughs> in <the> previous episodes, <laughs> you understand that when you meet or you believe that you meet, if you believe so hard that you're meeting an entity from another realm, you have to understand, especially if you believe this is, this is full-on magical hullabaloo So just you know, come with me. If you believe and want them to work with you, you got to come at them on their level. You got to incept them. You got to go and 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 make them. It, it has to be their decision to help you.
3: Yeah, and these creatures, you know the mm-hmm. the creatures of the fae, hobbs, brownies, and the like. You know they can either help or they can destroy. so You want to be nice, but that's the thing. It's never with malice. Only because the Fae are said to be ignorant of the needs of man. They don't know what's best for us. They're trying to do their own thing. They have their own agenda. And they're either unable or unwilling to learn what's best for humankind.
1: Hmm. The the book The Astral Plate talks about how an entity from the other side sees our world, right? Imagine that we, our world is one level of density and then there's like eight worlds on top of this world that are all varying levels of things that we can touch. The one right above us is where something like this would be, one of these weird little fairy creatures. But when they see us... They see us from all sides. Like we appear like kind of like a a Picasso, like painting. Like one of those things where we appear flat. They see every one of our angles. And not only see that, but they see every little bit of like the earth energies inside of us. All the cells, all radiating energy at a time. And then then there's the egg-shaped astral... Like, would you see an aura pictures that you get mm-hmm. if you go to, like, a fun rap party or you go to, like, a girl's bachelorette party? <laughs> you go to those one of those aura pictures? There's that that they have to then kind of interpret because to them, that's the only real thing. Our meat bodies mean nothing to them. They just see these orbs. So they're constantly trying to figure out how we work like we have to figure out how they work. We're as much of a curiosity to them as they are to us.
2: Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm.
1: It's not to some. Some <laughs> people don't find it interesting, but I find it interesting
3: <laughs> when we examine the story of jeff the talking mongoose it seems as if he was much more a spirit of the trickster variety but ultimately harmless if indeed jeff was what the irvings said he was starting in september of 1931 the irving family was first visited by an entity that eventually identified itself as quote a ghost in the form of a weasel now, certain people in the psychical game had much to say concerning Jeff's provenance. Some of them speculated that the Irvings were actually highly psychic individuals, particularly Jim and Margaret, and that through nothing more exotic than excruciating boredom, they communed with a spirit already present at Dorlish Cashen and willed it into physical beings. But no matter the means of Jeff's conjuring, the story that the Irvings told was that his appearance was slow to come, because it would be absolutely ridiculous to assume that a fully formed talking mongoose just appeared in their fucking kitchen one day. That's
2: that's ridiculous. (laughs) Now, now over time, if it appeared,
3: uh, now I'm getting a little bit more
1: sold
2: on it. What is this fucking Sesame Street?
1: (laughs) No, this is the Isle of Man, darling.
3: (laughs) Now, at first, the family just called the spirit Jack because the creature had no physical form in the beginning. At first, it was just making noise, something closer to a poltergeist, and it took a while before it began to directly communicate. Hmm. Jim Irving's first instinct was that they merely had a clever flesh-and-blood creature, so he tried blocking its entrance into the home by filling in all the cracks in the walls and the floors of the house, but still the fucking thing got in. Can I just say this? Maybe you should do it anyway. (laughs) Just
2: if you got a big hole in your wall, feel free to plaster it. it. Just cover it. Just in case. Don't need a
1: reason. Unless it's a peephole and you don't want to plaster it. But that's for different things altogether. Indeed it is. I was watching that documentary called Rats. And these fucking things can fit through a hole that's only two inches big. So you got to cover all these holes if you think you got some kind of magical fucking mongoose in there, especially if he's coming from inside the house. He's coming from your fucking brain.
2: When I had that rat in my apartment for a month, which is still giving me PTSD, uh, it could have snuck into my dick hole. That thing, I tried everything. It could have snuck into
1: your fucking dick hole. You better start plastering up your nose and your mouth before going to sleep because it's going to
2: crawl inside of your body. That was horrible. I hated that thing.
3: Then, whatever it was, started eating the family's food while they slept. And since they seemed to have no choice, they started leaving out snacks for their new resident, and thus began a relationship with the entity. Oh. Which is interesting, because that is what you
1: do to appease the fae. Mm-hmm. So they accidentally, if it's true, that they, they ran into something that some form of elemental that was already there, that is now responding to their presence. They're encouraging it and saying, okay, here you go. We will allow you into your home, which is how you're supposed to handle the fake. because if not, they steal your fucking microphones and your belts.
2: (laughs) I know that. So what does Jeff the Talking
3: Mongoose like to eat? He liked bacon without fat. He liked chocolate quite a bit. (laughs) He liked chocolate. (laughs) Biscuits. He He liked biscuits. What is this, the Met Gala? That's nice (laughs) stuff. He's cute. He's European. (laughs) A Jeff's existence might have been an extended bit that got out of hand, and it might have all been imaginary. But as we said, the fact remains that Jim, Margaret, and Vora believed in Jeff the Talking Mongoose until the day they died. Damn. Now, at first, Jim said Jeff's speech was nonsense. He said it sounded like this. It quote. <laughs>
0: what do you
2: mean? He said he wants a biscuit. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. No, I'm
3: sorry. I'm speaking puffin. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, though, that progressed to barks, and Jim responded by (laughs) imitating various animals, and Jeff would repeat those noises back to him. That carried on for a few weeks, along with simple conversation, and before Jim knew it, Jeff... Was fluent in English Why do
2: I feel like Charles Manson had the same conversation With the same entity in his jail cell (laughs) The past like 40 years of his life This is straight up an isolation fever dream Hey Jeff let me ask you something You know how to eat pussy
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well golly gee I don't but I sure hope to learn
3: (laughs) You went to the wrong cell (laughs) Go talk to Sirhan Sirhan Maybe he knows more But from what Jim speculates, Jeff was just pretending to not speak English. And this little game was just to ease the family into accepting his existence. Because that's the thing. Jeff showed up in kind of like fits and starts, which sort of goes back to Henry's theory that this is poking through from the astral plane. It doesn't come out all at once. Mm. It merely begins to evolve. And the people that see it, the people that interact with it, they add their own bullshit to that entity. They are manipulating the astral plane
1: with their thoughts and energies mm-hmm. and creating the only thing the, the way I could truly describe it as a paranormal hernia <laughs> where
2: it is slowly <laughs> going through the layer and it makes and it, and it does yeah. affect your work. That does make a lot of sense. It also reminds me of when you when you move into a Brooklyn apartment and you're like, I want to get rid of this key lime colored wall and you try to paint
3: <laughs> it over white, but then slowly but surely the key lime color comes right on through. <laughs> <laughs> Thing was, this tactic of easing them into it, it worked. Oh. The family was not frightened of the entity at all, and approached the existence of Jeff with an air that was more curious than fearful. They were soon teaching him nursery rhymes, <laughs> and Jeff was able to repeat those nursery rhymes Verbatim, and Jeff became Andrew Jeff Clay, and he would say Hickory Dickory Dock. <laughs> what is that
2: called? Hickory Dickory Dock. Something sits. Yeah. Somebody sits no, yeah. on something's cock. I yeah, don't yeah, know. Yes, that's but every, it it all that, ends with cum. You. It's. It's that simple. Yes. You're
1: just trying to add more to it than it's there. But that's why Dice was such a poet. A true such poet. a poet. Such the simplicity a simplicity
3: of language. <laughs> Concerning paranormal undertones, though, Jim said that in the early days, Jeff sometimes made a noise that was similar to threshing or churning. (laughs) The only other time Jim heard that noise was when he sometimes heard it around two local women who were said to be deep into the witchcraft game. He said that noise followed them, and he heard that same noise when Jeff was around.
1: They were just trying to get him to leave. Like, (laughs) hey, maybe if we make a couple of witch noises, he'll go away because he's been staring at my low-cut shirt for quite a bit of time, and I'm sick of sharing my mangoes with him.
2: Absolutely. I mean, it's probable that these people, these two women, were just in a lesbian relationship, and then they had to just be like, no, they're definitely
3: witches. That happened a lot. Yes, it did. So by October... Jeff had reached physical form, and both Jim and his daughter Vora saw the creature with their own eyes. They described it as having a small rat-like body with a long bushy tail and yellowish fur. Speckled with brown spots. Okay. That naturally drew attention of the press, who at this time were usually quite keen to report on any and all supernatural goings on, because the spiritualist movement of the early 20th century was beginning to evolve into the realm of psychical research. So it it was a legitimate thing to cover in the press. This was a paranormal
1: boom. At the time, like yeah. the people were obsessed with it. You had the you had the, uh, the theosophical society ready to go, and then the 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 fairy research society. All of these different groups were like making money yeah. during this time period and getting government help. And as we'll see, it involved like judges and shit. <laughs> like like really technically like b- b- trustworthy human beings. I unquote. think
2: it's very good that you weren't in this time for us. For you, it would have been great, Henry, because you would have had real wizard power, and then (laughs) you'd have been like, she's a witch! I know she's a witch! You would have killed so many people.
3: I mean, that's the thing, is that there was actually, you know, some rumors that Aleister Crowley (gasps) worked with Winston Churchill during World War II. (laughs) Where did those rumors start? (laughs) Aleister Crowley. Yeah, definitely started with him, and working with
1: Winston Churchill probably had to be getting him... couple of younger males that were super excited well, about showing the Prime Minister their buttholes.
2: I could see Alistair being the bottom to Winston Churchill, just Winston putting his belly on his back, just going to town. He's very stressed out. He's got to kill a lot of people, you know?
1: I tell you what, Mr. Crowley, I may be drunk, but you have a terrible asshole.
3: And I'll tell you what, I'll be sober in the morning. Oh, the press named the creature the Darby Spook, and pretty soon the story had jumped from the Isle of Man over to England, and the farm was overrun by sightseers hoping to catch a glimpse of the curious ghost. And Jim said that the invasion of Looky-Loos actually <laughs> proved that he wasn't in it for the money. He wasn't paid by the press and in fact lost money because the crowds who came looking for the talking mongoose caused quite a bit of property damage
2: honestly he should have
1: charged no because then it shows that he was doing it to create a theme park on the isle of man and this is not beetlejuice he did not (laughs) he did not do that but the rest of the isle of man did not particularly enjoy the influx of jeff tourists coming Mm. onto their land
3: however some of the people who came to look see actually testified to jeff's existence At least 15 people who visited the farm over the years said they had interactions with Jeff. And Jim said he had a signed statement from three local fishermen who attested to the same. That's more than the amount of people that could say that J.D. Salinger was alive after he wrote the
2: goddamn book that he wrote that killed killed Lenin. It's also very difficult to get fishermen to sign anything.
1: I don't think a fisherman, a professional fisherman, has filled out a census since the beginning of the census. But I also am glad that he decided to trust fishermen because, you know, of all of the sportsmen in the world, the fishermen are never known to lie. No,
3: no. At first, the haunting was somewhat cute and limited mostly to annoying knocks and raps. That evolved into various bits of speech emanating from what Jeff called his sanctum, which was a small storage space in the corner of a room where the walls (laughs) didn't quite touch the ceiling. Isn't that sad for every husband? This is a bit of a stereotypical
2: joke, but, like, that's his place? It's like, you get your sanctum, it's up there, it's in the corner, (laughs) it's that two by, it's two by two, so if you can't fit in there, sorry, that's your fucking sanctum.
1: Yeah, not to be too road comic, but men are told where they're allowed to exist inside
3: of their homes. (laughs) (laughs) But when the presence of Jeff became more of a nuisance than a lark, the Irving family went on the offensive. They left a piece of bread covered in rat poison in Jeff's sanctum. But they found that the creature wasn't so easy to kill. Instead, Jeff got even more annoying after eating the poison, screaming for 20 minutes uninterrupted using a noise that sounded like, in the words of the Irving family, a pig having a horseshoe nail pushed through its snout. (laughs) Just all
1: day long. You're trying to get used to the mongoose in your home. And then you probably <laughs> ask it to leave and then you poison it and it's, it's not working and then it's just going <laughs> for hours, yes. hours, hours.
3: I don't know why they tried to poison it. <laughs> Even when Jeff finally calmed down, he still spent 30 minutes sighing and moaning. <laughs>
2: How would you react if you're invited for dinner and you find out they tried to poison you?
1: Yeah, you fucking kept feeding me. That's my thing, man. It's been like, I'm a house guest. You kept feeding me. You could have stopped leaving out food. And then uh, some eventually got to go find other food.
3: They, They tricked him. They tricked him. In one of their first back and forth communications with Jeff, they asked him, Why? Why are you screaming? Why are you moaning and groaning? And very simply, he said, Quote,
0: I did it for the devilment.
3: You did it for the for the government?
0: <laughs> no, fuck the government. <laughs> fuck the government. I oh, believe it, we should burn down the White House. That's Jeff saying it, not Henry.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, he did it for the devilment. Oh, for the devilment. <laughs> I did
0: it for the devilment. Whoa! I did it for the devilment. <laughs>
3: That's a fun term. I'm going to start saying that. Uh, devilment's wonderful. Yeah. Now after that, the gloves came off for a little while between Jeff and the Irvings. He'd threaten Jim's daughter, Vora, and throw stones at her while she slept. So the Irvings moved Vora's bed into their room temporarily, at least until Jeff calmed down. Jeff reacted by thumping the walls and screaming at him the whole time they were moving the bed, saying, quote, I'll follow her wherever you move her. Don't follow her. <laughs> But after Jeff composed himself, he told them that Bora could go back to her room, and he promised to never hurt the family again. I promise. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. And in this, he kept his promise. Oh, good. He's nice. Was an honest little mongoose. (laughs) That's very nice. (laughs) For the next few years, Jeff and the Irving family lived in peaceful coexistence. (laughs) About the worst Jeff did was occasionally spit at the family, and from time to time, he would urinate in the house. Oh, that does happen. So does Wendy. So do I.
1: There's so many things. You, sometimes you just gotta, you gotta pee, yep. you know, but it is weird. That is one of those that gets into the poltergeist area where a lot of times poltergeist activity is seen where there's like puddles of foul smelling stuff, which in this where they're basically saying it smelt like fucking mongoose piss hmm. and that the, there was some kind of little creature pissed inside of their house. But it seems like with the amount of holes they had inside of their home it right. might have been a little creature pissing side of the house that jeff was just happy
2: to take it and being <laughs> like he like al-qaeda he just claimed it yeah <laughs> I, I think it's probably
3: jeff the talking
2: mongoose <laughs> okay.
3: but even so jeff was fucking annoying yeah. yeah. Once, when Jim and his wife were about to engage in marital relations... What is that? What does that mean, Marcus? <laughs> What's marital relations? They was fucking. They's oh, about Days to, was fucking. They's about to fuck. <laughs> All right, good for them. Jeff went outside the house and started yelling about what was about to go down in the bedroom. <laughs> They're about to fuck.
0: <laughs> Y'all leave fucking in here. What believe the kind of
3: Irish fucking that's going on in this
0: fucking house. What's that, Jeff? <laughs> talking
2: mongoose. They're about to fuck in there.
0: They're about to fuck. Fuck! I actually saw them get in opposites. So they about to. No, 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 no. no, no All right, Jerry, Larry, Greg, let's go. We're going
2: to watch them. All right, <laughs> you can watch us. Fuck.
1: See how it's done. See how the lady takes me even like a tugboat coming into the air. And my just sitting to the side.
3: Traumatized. Not an easy day. But by December, instead of spreading around the bedroom habits of his hosts, Jeff was bringing gossip from around the island back <laughs> to the house. Although that gossip was mostly from workers on local road crews, and that
1: holds into the history of witchcraft. Very often, the use of familiars—the ones that would actually use use their familiars—this was a common behavior where they would go and report on them on shit and come back, kind of like the again like the Damons in uh was it Philip pullman's the golden compass like that that series where it's like they would go and come back sometimes they did it against a witch's will where the creature would go out and come back and tell them a bunch of gossip and a witch literally would be like stop it i don't want to know i'm trying to have plausible deniability right <laughs> yeah
3: one fun thing about the work crew, though, is that on one occasion, a crew member said he dropped a piece of bread on the ground and later saw it moving towards a hedge <laughs> seemingly carried by an invisible force <gasps> that he knew was not the wind. He said it wasn't a windy day. And how do he know that? Because it wasn't a windy day. Okay. He was
1: outside. All right. Because he wasn't wearing any clothes and he knows that when his body hairs ain't moving, <laughs>
3: there ain't no wind. Ain't no wind outside. So by 1932... The entity proclaimed that he preferred to be called Jeff, spelled with a G and one F. Remember it. <laughs> <laughs> it's very easy to remember. And he claimed that he had been born 80 years before in India and had been chased out of the country by a man in a green turban accompanied by a hunchback. Well, that really doesn't isolate it. That doesn't, <laughs> we got a lot of people we got to look for then.
1: And you know, it's interesting. Okay, here we go. Very similar to the UFO phenomena when you speak with aliens, especially old school alien visitations, they lie. When they even see little creatures, they'll they uh, there's stories, right? Jacques Vallee did a good compilation of stories of like weird little long nosed workmen that you'd see in a field, like old-timey UFO sightings. And they would say stuff like, we're from the moon, and you can come up with us in our hot air balloon. Hmm. And their, But their hot air balloon was a fucking UFO, and they're just talking in whatever is the day-to-day things that people would understand, number one, a way to using, pulling from images from our consciousness to help bridge the gap in communication between two wildly different species and ways of living, ty- types of intelligence, different planes, And then they also feel like they need to give you an explanation. They feel like humans need to be calmed down. Us chimps need to be told a bunch of bullshit fucking context because we can't just sit and accept a... A ex- relationship with the astral. They have to contextualize it and say something like, "Yeah, I'm. I am an Indian mongoose. I come from a place, a physical place, 80 years ago. So you can buy me. Because the more you believe in me, the more I can hang out in this plane of existence.
2: Hmm. They, they like being there. All right, I love it. Who wouldn't want to be in the early 20th century, 19th century, 20th century? 20th Europe. century. Yeah, 19th century. That was a while ago. Yeah, that's a very fun time for a mongoose.
3: Yeah, 1930s. It was before things got. Harsh. It's a great time yeah. for Mongoose, actually. <laughs> yeah. Well, soon after Jeff gave himself a name, a newspaper called The Daily Dispatch published another Jeff story, <laughs> printing the headline, and this is possibly my favorite headline of all time, <laughs> Man Weasel Mystery, Grips Island. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
2: God. This is the beginning of the end. <laughs>
1: oh, God. I-, I can't wait to see the same... Almost the same headline when Kissel finally goes fucking amok and it says, Man Moose Mystery Grips New York Island. <laughs> yes, indeed. Can't wait.
3: Man Moose Runs Amok in Manhattan. Yeah, <laughs> it's the Man Moose. I know that Man but Moose. By run, we mean he slowly walked after he got a little tired. <laughs> <laughs> now, there was a reason why they called Jeff a man weasel. <laughs> Jim Irving told people that he thought that they were dealing with a manimal of sorts. Oh. A hybrid with the body of a weasel-like creature and the mind of a man. And for some reason, this creature had chosen Dorlish Kashen as his home. Okay. Jim also entertained the possibility that Jeff was the result of a crossbreed between a weasel and a ferret, and the combination of the two species had resulted in an unusual throat formation (laughs) that gave it the power of speech and heightened man intelligence. I don't know why in my mind
1: I find the weirdest explanation to be, That it is, in fact, a physical talking mongoose. Of all of them, like whether it's a fae or a ghost or any other of the weird paranormal versions of it, I kind of buy. But there's something like, to me, kind of like weirdly frightening (laughs) about a weasel with man hands looking at you going like, I'm from India. Like, if I saw oh, yeah. that, like, I know I'd have to go to a fucking hospital.
2: Absolutely. <laughs> I don't want James Corden from the movie Cats and in, uh, in a mongoose If form. I saw
1: James Corden from Cats on my lawn, I'd fucking shoot it in its fucking belly so it died slow. Well,
3: you have that right. <laughs> well, concerning how Jeff talked, Jim was let in on the secret. Jeff claimed... That a mongoose can speak if he is taught. Mm. And left it at that.
1: <laughs> oh, it's like Dangerous Minds. It. Cool. <laughs> <It's just like
3: laughs> but still, the reporter who wrote the man-weasel story, he had a little bit of fun with it. He wrote, quote, Had I heard a weasel speak? I
1: do not know. But I do know that I have heard today a voice which I should never have imagined could issue from a human throat. That the people who claim it was the voice of the strange weasel seem sane, honest, and responsible folk are not likely to indulge in a difficult, long-drawn-out and unprofitable practical joke to make themselves the talk of the world and that others have had the same experience as myself.
2: S- signed, Truman Capote. This was his first piece, actually. He got, he got a lot better. This is So is this either the greatest journalistic assignment or, like, are you the dumbest person at the office and they want to get rid of you? (laughs) I don't know. I
1: can't tell. I think it's both. I think actually it's both. You are lucky enough to be the dumbest person to get the talking weasel story. (laughs)
3: Weren't we leading up to like a massive world war at this point? There was a lot going on in Germany at this point that should have been covered instead of Jeff the Talking Mongoose, yeah. It almost seems
1: like the lack of coverage is what allowed it to blossom into what it became, but I'm glad we got this story, though. Even though, you know... And we got many important. episodes out of the Nazis, so technically we should be thankful to them. Sure. <laughs> that's, a, that's a fun way to get in trouble.
3: <laughs> now, this was actually one of the rare occasions when Jeff actually spoke for a visitor, or at least a visitor heard him. When Jeff refused to speak to the reporter initially, the reporter left. But when he got outside the door, he actually heard Margaret consoling Jeff, telling him that the gentleman had gone away and everything is okay now. And to this, Jeff replied, quote,
0: He has not. I can hear him whispering. I won't talk for these people. They're all liars.
3: Oh, Jeff. And it's possible that this aspersion caused that same reporter to also throw the Irvings under the bus. <gasps> Just because Jeff called them fake news, huh?
1: <laughs> <laughs> but he heard the got voice from inside the house. We'll get into it.
3: In that same article, the reporter speculated that daughter Vora was perhaps a highly talented ventriloquist and pointed out in the newspaper (gasps) that this teenage girl didn't have any friends. Oh my, (laughs) God! what is wrong with
1: this? (laughs) (laughs) This guy is is such an
3: asshole. Her life was fucking just...
1: Decimated in teenager terms. Like, she's shown the whole world how dumb she is and how lonely she is and how all she does is make up voices all by herself and she
2: lives with the fucking weasel. I mean, also. She could never be on the yearbook squad in school after this shit. She lives on the Isle of Man. It's just a bunch of garbage pail kids around. Who is she supposed <laughs> to hang out with? There's no other 13 year olds. <laughs> There's
1: a, probably a couple of, like, rough farm boys that she wish she could sit on the lap of. And now they
3: they won't look at her because she's fucking got mongoose juice all over I don't think that would stop them well other newspapers went a little more sensational such as the Peel City Guardian they went full cryptid with the story claiming that Jeff terrorized both the Irvings and their neighbors with hissing breath and a terrifyingly high-pitched voice cool they also claimed that Jeff had the body of a weasel the head of a pig and great glowing eyes. The they
1: loved you. the amalgam. <laughs> <laughs> the body of a pig. <laughs> <laughs>
3: my favorite YouTube I,
1: video. They, <laughs> I don't know what it was about old-timey cryptid reporting and stuff. They love mixing up different animals. Yeah. I wonder if that's just, because that's kind of a Bible thing.
3: Well, the the Chimera is a pretty common creature in mythology, specifically like Greek mythology and also like the book of Revelations, like you said, with the Bible. Uh, But yeah, they really do enjoy Chimeras in this uh, period of time. They're, like, swapping the parts, which I get. It's fun.
1: Yeah. It's fun to think about. I mean, yeah. you,
3: you look a lot of coat of arms uh, throughout England. A lot of them have chimeras, gri- like a griffin to chimera, sure. all that type of shit. So, yeah, they, they enjoy it. It really depends, though. You
2: have the 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 head of a pig, the body of a cow, and the cock of a chicken. <laughs>
1: that'd be weird. <laughs> yeah, be yeah really I don't weird. want a chicken's that, cock. I strange? want the cock of a pig, I want the head of a chicken, and I want the body of an owl. <laughs>
2: That's kind well, of we don't fun,
1: get right. To we don't. We just don't get to
3: choose, do we? Well, after the article was published, a reader wrote in and said that the pig face suggested that maybe they were dealing with a mongoose instead of a weasel, and everyone just sort of rolled with this guy's assessment. Yep, love this guy. Yep. Yeah. Hell <laughs> yeah. You,
2: yeah. You know what? Yep. Yeah. Done. So the O.J. Simpson defense team. What are they? They're just
3: making shit up. Yep. Fact, well, when Jeff was asked point blank if Jeff was a mongoose, he said, that, quote, I never said that he's a mongoose.
1: Others suggested it. Then Jeff himself stated he was a marsh mongoose. And now I'm a liar. <coughs> making me a liar.
2: <laughs> so Jeff did say he was a mongoose. After he somebody did. else said that he was a mongoose. So is that because they're psychically making him a mongoose? Ooh, now you're on board, buddy. <laughs> ha ha, Kissel. Is starting
1: to understand. He's starting to get into the wiggity world of things that don't matter. And again,
2: <laughs> it makes you dumber.
3: <laughs> now after seeing the article in the Peel City Guardian a woman named Florence Milburn wrote a letter to the National Laboratory of Psychical Research. How bored are these people? <laughs> I
1: mean, <laughs>
3: this is, it's huge. This
1: is huge news for the Isle of Man <laughs> got a talking mongoose. Honestly, if there was a talking mongoose in my apartment building, I would be there with an old-timey reporter's hat with, like, the weird piece of paper in the side, the big flashbulb camera, just to be a part of the whole hubbub. No, I know, I know.
3: <laughs> And who should receive that letter but world-renowned parapsychologist Harry Price. Oh, oh yeah. Now, this name comes up a lot. Yep. As you might remember, Harry Price was the man most responsible for bringing the story of Borley Rectory. Rectory. Borley Rectory. <laughs> Rector. Dang, dang near gave her a
2: nice Corvette.
3: Wow. He's the one that brought Borley Rectory to the world. Nice. But long before he encountered the ghost of Reverend Bull... Harry Price dealt with Jeff the Talking Mongoose. So Harry Price he, just had the greatest life of all time. Is that what we're he really to? did? I love this guy.
1: This guy, what a what a fantastic life this guy got to lead. But he was like not super enthused about Jeff the Talking Mongoose when he first saw it. He was just like, I think I can give this to somebody else <laughs> and see what they do with it, and maybe maybe we'll vet it a little bit before I go and find this fucking talking mongoose. Especially because the Isle of Man, unfortunately... It didn't seem like a place a lot of people were, like, super excited to go to. Oh, my goodness. So
2: he was the curmudgeon agent from the docuseries
3: McMillions. Uh-huh. Thank God somebody else found this story and ran with it. Yeah, I mean, for the initial investigation, Harry did not go himself. Oh, yeah. wow. And then it yeah. blew up.
2: I don't think he should be al- I'm on. I'm against him now. I don't think he should be alive. it's in. all about packaging. But
1: what
3: did we learn from Edison? It's about packaging. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Instead, Harry Price sent Captain Harold Egerton Dennis to get a bead on the whole story. Now, Jeff didn't speak to Captain Dennis on the first night, but when the captain returned the next night, Jim informed him that Jeff would speak in exchange for a camera or a gramophone for Vora. <laughs> it's almost like their daughter asked for a gift they
2: couldn't afford.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like asking Santa Claus. Yeah. But maybe that's what I'll start doing is that if I, you know, what I'll say to Wendy when she wants, wonder, like, you know, is there a Santa Claus? Maybe I'll tell her that actually, no, you should ask Jeff the talking mongoose for steak tonight. Oh. <laughs>
3: but Jeff also said that he would only appear if the person requesting his presence believed in the talking mongoose because jeff had no time for what he called <laughs> doubters nope you know time you got to believe in a man I, I get it
2: hey life is short i understand <laughs> i
1: get it man you can't let it's like you know fucking i'm certain mj didn't allow a single non-believer inside that circle
3: hell no, no. that's how you get that's how you get those w's man now captain dennis was open to the idea of a talking mongoose <laughs> but still jeff wasn't having it on the second night Dennis heard a voice coming from the bedroom when he was talking to Jim, and the captain shouted an assurance that he did indeed believe in Jeff. I believe in you. But Jeff replied, quote, I don't mean
0: to stay long as I don't like you.
3: (laughs) What? What did he do to you, Jeff? What happened? You didn't believe. Well, the captain did try to sneak up on Jeff by silently crawling up the stairs. Oh, my God. Do you have any idea how difficult it is for a man with one wooden leg to sneak up on something? <laughs> yeah. pum plum. Plum, pum, plum, plum. But Dennis slipped on a broken step and noisily tumbled back down. <laughs> and so the captain left, partly convinced of Jeff's existence, but still somewhat skeptical. Huh. However, there were visitors who had full-on encounters with Jeff. A visitor to Dorlish Cashin named Charles Morrison said that Jeff responded to each and every one of Jim's commands during his day at the farm. Jim asked Jeff to bark, and Jeff barked. And Jim asked Jeff to sing Carolina Moon, which was a popular song at the time. Okay. But instead of singing, Jeff said, quote,
0: Charlie, Charlie, chuck chuck
3: chuck, Charlie,
0: my old sport. Clear to the devil if you don't believe
3: Fanny
2: Well, that's not exactly the song that I wanted to hear, Um, but that is a nice tale. (laughs) You know, I'll tell you what, I wanted to to do a
1: little bit of a dance, and I wanted to maybe, you know, take my daughter on the town to that song, but instead
2: I'd be frightened by it. Indeed. (laughs) Nothing like some good fiddle music to get these white bones (laughs) cracking.
3: Then that night, as Charles was trying to sleep in the house, Jeff reappeared, saying he's going to keep Charlie up all night. Because Charlie was a doubter. (laughs) And about an hour later, Charlie heard something under his bed. Morrison said he looked underneath the bed and saw a pair of glowing eyes staring (sighs) back. And Jeff asked him, do you believe now? (laughs) Yes! (laughs) It's so fun. It's so fun. Yes. Jeff then made a spitting noise and then kept Charlie awake all night making various animal sounds.
1: I can't sleep because of y'all. And y'all can't sleep because of me. And I can't
3: sleep because of y'all. You ever see that? That was, I believe, from Real World. It could be. It could be. Well, other visitors were treated to Jeff's penny trick. In this, visitors would flip a coin and have Jeff guess heads or legs. That's how it's done on the Isle of Man. Oh, I like that. Yeah, because the their uh, crest is like three legs all uh, put together. Hmm. And Jeff was said to have always guessed correct. Cool. Which, you know, that kind of t- goes against the whole ventriloquism thing. Yeah. Because I don't know if Vora would have been able to guess every single time, but Jeff was, convi- Jeff was able to do it every single time. And sometimes he would even guess the opposite on purpose, but he would always guess the opposite correctly. It was, it's very interesting. He, they,
1: there's a lot of weird cooperation because a lot of people used to go over there and unless it was Jim, it's like they're all hanging out and they would hear a disembodied voice come throughout the home. Mm -hmm. The one weird factor of the old school farmhouse was that it was a stone frame that had a wood frame on the inside of it. Mm -hmm. So there was like a weird gap between the wall and the, the wood actually made up the exterior of the house, which is what a lot of people said was the reason why, like, you know, number the one weird reason of, like, there could actually be a creature in there, like, within, within the walls making a bunch of noises. Sure. But it was very difficult for them to pull off these ventriloquist tricks in front of everybody while they're trying to play the game in the dark.
3: Yeah. All right. Makes a lot of sense. But as nice as Jeff could be to visitors... He could still sometimes be an annoying terror to the Irvings. Mm. At least
2: he was nice to visitors. You know, you're allowed to be kind of a prick around your family. (laughs) (laughs) That's unfortunately the people who get the most prick version
1: of you sometimes, which is unfortunate because we take our families for granted, Kissel. Yeah, we do.
3: Yeah, we do. Sure. About a month after Charlie Morrison's visit, Jeff woke up Jim at 5 a.m. saying that he was sick. Oh. Jim then heard a noise that sounded like a cat vomiting. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, got a, I got a case of the mongu shits.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and when Jim looked under his bed, he saw a pile of vomit mixed in with some half eaten carrots. Oh. Jeff vomit.
2: Oh, Jeff vomit.
3: <laughs> and Jeff had other maladies besides just food poisoning. On another occasion, a horrible bronchial cough echoed throughout the house when no one else in the family had any kind of sickness. Mm. And Jeff claimed it was coming from him, saying, quote,
0: Jim, I have a goddamn cough. <laughs> I have a hell of a cold.
3: Oh, Jeff, <laughs> do they make mongoose robitussin? <laughs> it was around this time that the Irvings claimed to have actually come into physical contact with the entity, they said they saw Jeff run over the crossbeams supporting the roof. And upon closer inspection, Jim saw that Jeff actually had doll-sized human hands. Cool. Oh, but <laughs> they didn't have five fingers. It just had three fingers and a thumb. Yeah, man. Old school Mickey Mouse. It, yeah. This
1: is what Mickey Mouse would look like <laughs> if sure. it was real.
2: Also, the
3: Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, another reference to them. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Margaret was actually <laughs> able to reach up to the crossbeam and stroke Jeff's head and feel his teeth with her fingers. And after that, Jeff was well and truly a member of the family. Hmm.
1: He and did it! Yay. Yay. Everybody even
3: bought him a little ball to play with.
1: No kidding. Yeah. Aw, yeah.
2: Did they ever get that uh, that that xylophone for the
3: daughter there? <laughs> <laughs> Gramophone. Gramophone. <laughs> In return, Jeff began bringing objects from nearby farms as offerings, and he even started killing rabbits and laying them at the door for the Irvings to sell for five pence apiece. By the end of it, Jeff would kill over 200 rabbits for his adopted family.
2: Can you sell an animal that is killed by another animal? Isn't there, like, some diseases that could
3: spread that way? Doesn't seem that safe. No, no. Well, I mean, this is 1930. I think you could—this is 1935. You can sell anything. Any meat will do. Any meat will do. Okay. But, you know,
1: this is what Obes or the Obmen or Brownies are also known to do. They, if you work in conjunction with them, they will help you in many ways. They go out of their way because they, they, they ended up, he ended up being the breadwinner for the Irving home. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Well, that is quite an indictment on the father. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it is. Well, as far as how Jeff killed him. Jim said that there was never a spot of blood on the rabbits, but their eyes were usually bulged out of their skulls, implying that Jeff had strangled them to death with his strange (laughs) little human hands. You think you're (laughs)
1: fucking better than me? You think you're fucking better than me? (laughs) (laughs) Choking rabbits in a field?
3: Damn. Uh, Admittedly, Vora was also quite the accomplished rabbit killer herself, but her method was much bloodier. She'd have Mona, the family dog, point at the rabbit, which froze the animal on its tracks. That's what a pointer's for. And <laughs> Vora would sneak up behind her prey and beat it to death with a stick. This chick is psycho. The daughter, like, <laughs> desperately needs a, a, a
2: psychiatric psychiatric help.
3: No, she's a nah. hunter. There's nothing All wrong with that. There's I,
2: nothing well, wrong with that. This
1: is farming. This is a farming life, Kissel. It's yeah. a harder life I than get, our
2: lives. I get my food like a good, good human being from Taco Bell and from McDonald's. They don't even kill <laughs> the
3: animals, they just, they're born as patties. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it's
3: very responsible,
1: of Very it. responsible.
3: But, on the other hand, Jeff in time figured out that the family was depending on the income earned from the rabbits he'd killed, and he'd go on strike if he didn't get his way. (laughs) Jeff unionized? (laughs) But it's just him? Conversely, he'd also use rabbits as peace offerings on the occasions that he offended Margaret. And he did offend Margaret pretty often. He
1: did. He really, really did, because he was too he's naughty. He's a naughty mongoose. He's yeah. a cheeky
2: mongoose. Cheeky. Was he? Was, did he go there? Did he say it like it is? He didn't. <laughs> no, <laughs> he,
1: wasn't, he wasn't being Dennis Miller. He was more of a, he'd just kind of say stuff, and he'd talk about really personal things that Margaret didn't like him talking
2: about. Yeah. <laughs> Man, Dennis's have a bad name. Dennis Leary, Dennis Miller, and Dennis Nielsen. Yeah. I don't like
3: any of them. <laughs> <laughs> There's Dennis Wilson. Which one is that? He's a Beach Boy. But on the other hand, he was also the one that brought Charles Manson into the fold. Ah, he, he was the one who almost got stabbed, right? Yeah.
1: And then famously, Dennis the Goddamn Menace, who was a terrorist.
3: Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, Jeff and Margaret definitely had their spats. Jeff usually wanted to talk at night when everyone else was sleeping, Ugh. and then he would knock and thump until everyone woke up, which of course made Margaret really pissed off.
0: Hey, Margaret, you sleeping? <laughs> You sleeping?
2: Uh, yes, Jeff. I am uh, well asleep here. As you can see, I...
0: Why are you talking then if you sleep? Well, because you
2: just woke me up, Jeff. I got a long day tomorrow of looking at Margaret, grass. what are you
0: going to do? You're going to go out there, yeah, look at fucking rocks? Yeah. Is that what you're going to do with your whole day? Yeah. Margaret.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Who's your favorite little rascal?
2: Um, I like the one that wears the hat because he's so cute. Mind Spanky?
1: That's just from Tommy Boy. <laughs> That's Tommy Boy.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
3: she said Jeff got on her nerves, and when she told him that he was nothing but a nuisance, oh. he'd spit at her and say things like, "Quote,
0: how <laughs> bald eggs nuts crack them and then eat them. How bald eggs nuts crack them and eat them. How bald eggs <laughs> nuts."
2: <laughs> oh, he's such All a... All night, he, man. Yeah, what a, uh, what a kid. What a kid. Yeah, that was his favorite curse word. Nuts. Crack him and Nuts. eat him. Nuts. Nuts. What's another word for balls?
3: Nuts. Nuts.
2: That's uh. <laughs> there
3: we go. Yeah, uh, that's Uncle Buck. <laughs> well, Jeff and Margaret's relationship was even described by the author of Jeff as <sighs> strangely intimate, even sexualized at times. No, gross. <laughs> Sometimes... Jeff would watch Margaret undress, naming each item of clothing as she took it off. (laughs)
0: Hey, hey, you're taking off your hat, huh? I can see your hair. Nice. (laughs) Oh, yeah, you're taking off that big strap in front there, the big old round ones in the front, you can take off that? Oh, yeah, nice. (laughs) Oh, what's that, a parachute? Oh, that's your underwear.
2: Oh, Jeff. Made
0: they big.
2: Jeff, that's crossing could, the line.
0: I can see your butt, Margaret. <laughs> and I'm memorizing it. I'm memorizing it.
3: Oh, my goodness. Jeff even once tried to hit on Margaret behind Jim's back. <laughs> <laughs> and Jim heard the whole thing while he was pretending to sleep. Oh, man. He heard Jeff quietly talking to Margaret in the dark saying quote
0: I like you Maggie <laughs> I like you and I want you to like me
3: you know what I'm saying uh,
2: this is a great episode you know, of Joey Greco and cheaters
0: <laughs> I like you and you know what I'm thinking you like me you know why <laughs> cause I'm Jeff G in one one big G one tiny little F and when you come down with me I'll tell you what it's not gonna be one tiny F be one big old long f.
2: Yeah, I would. I do like you, but you're but you're a mongoose.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah but, uh, I don't got just tiny little human hands. If you know what I'm saying.
2: You got a tiny Wait, little dick too. Yeah, you got a tiny penis. Huh?
0: Yeah,
4: just <laughs> like my
2: husband. <laughs> It ain't cheating if you got the same
3: dick size.
1: Uh, I don't like that. I don't like that concept.
3: (laughs) Once, things actually got a little physical. Margaret put her fingers up to the crossbeams where Jeff was waiting And he licked her fingers. Uh, Although the author was not specific on how sensual this licking was.
2: (laughs) What is wrong with this person? I blame the author on this, by the way. (laughs) The
1: difference of sensuality is the amount of finger that goes in the mouth. Mm -hmm. If it's one knuckle, sometimes it's an accident. If it's two knuckles and the word sucking gets involved, then it's sensual.
2: Yeah, Yeah, I don't
3: know why anyone's sucking on anyone's fingers anyway. I don't get anything out of it. Mm. But although Margaret and Jeff certainly had their own thing going on, Jim treated Jeff like the son he never had. The Uh, son that's trying to
2: fuck his wife?
1: (laughs) Hey, man, that's how it starts. That's how you learn how to fuck from the father.
3: (laughs) He'd call him my lad. And from what Jim said, Jeff worked as a salve for Jim's bruised emotions. As Jim himself said that his daughter, Vora, quote, was not an affectionate child. She is Aww. a sociopath. She's not a sociopath just because she kills rabbits no, for it's, food. But, well, not that. It's part that.
2: But then also, she doesn't have any emotion towards her father. Now, what kind of daughter does that? <laughs> That's very rude.
1: He, All he she's does a, is
2: do nothing for you.
1: She's a teenager <laughs> on an island that is basically filled with just sheep and rocks. Yeah. She's bored as fuck. She is unhappy. You moved us to here away from the city where all my shit was (laughs) all right all
2: right not a sociopath i'll give her
3: daria she's like a daria type she's just she's upset okay i get it but while jim and the mongoose had a jocular almost paternal relationship (laughs) jeff's connection to vora was that of a close friend they were said to be inseparable for years playing hide and seek and other childhood games but as vora got older and lived less in the world of play Jeff began exploring the Isle of Man all on his own. It is very difficult to play hide-and-seek and win with a cryptid.
2: Because they will just, they'll be gone <laughs> like that.
1: They, they fucking are gone. And it also doesn't help your friendship getting skills. No. As you're running around the forest talking to a ghost mongoose. It's, no. it's hard. It's, it's, it's just not
3: as acceptable then as it is now. No, look at the movie Drop Dead Fred. Yeah. yeah. Made her yeah. life very difficult. On in this, the Irvings believed that Jeff traveled the island not as a mongoose, but was instead able to take the form of a man. What? He could be a man this whole time? Well, this power falls He's in line. a man, li- baby. <laughs> this power falls in line with the beliefs of a witch is familiar. You know, a witch's familiar, if you don't know what a familiar is, it's essentially the witch's assistant. Usually it's like a cat or a frog or something like that. Mm. But sometimes a familiar was said to assume human form when the witch needed work done that could only be accomplished by a person. Well, it, and
2: why didn't why didn't he just turn into a man when he wanted to bang the dude's wife?
3: <laughs> I mean, that would be frightening. I think it was very, that would be
1: very assertive. Mm-hmm. And, well, I... It's kind of like in a Cinderella world, too, where the familiars used to kind of just show up, too. A lot of times they say spontaneously these little creatures would kind of show up, which seems to me the idea of when you're opening the door to the unknown, you're basically flooding your home with elementals, and then some of them take on forms or not.
3: Mm-hmm. Hmm, okay. And the reason why you can't do that anymore is because the world has too much electricity in it. This no is Marcus's kid. big feel. Marcus and got into
1: a thing yesterday. We were talking about how electricity is killing gnomes. And I'm I'm with him. Wow.
3: Yeah. That the electricity that is ever present in our lives is essentially written over the astral plane and what was once common here in the world as fairies and spirits and all type of such mm-hmm. uh, can no longer come into this world because of all the electricity. Well, I think that's the most rational reason I've heard yet for the Green New Deal. <laughs>
2: Let's get rid of Marcus. it. Marcus. Let's get Rid
1: of it. Do you ever try to? I try to explain to my therapist sometimes like these thoughts <laughs> that I have. <laughs> mm-hmm. When I talk about elementals, mm-hmm. I've talked about the astral plane with my therapist. I talked a little bit about Anakian architecture with my therapist. And they always give me this. She always gives me kind of the same. She's nice about it, but she always has been like, I'm glad that you're thinking of Such creative things. Like she does that
2: and then she moves on. Well what would you like her to say, Henry? Because if she agrees with you, she could not be a licensed therapist. (laughs) Then it would just be one of your wacky bar friends. I
1: want her to lift up a cage and have a fucking fairy in it. I mean, like, you should meet my other client.
3: <laughs> well, I've certainly talked to my therapist about how Batman is real, but not real at the same time. And Grant Morrison. Yeah. <laughs> I've definitely brought up that idea okay. in therapy. And she was very perceptive. I see it. I see it. Yeah, yeah. But while Jeff was at home, he still annoyed the Irvings from time to time. One night, Jeff gave a list of 40 ailments he supposedly suffered from. That's a lot for a little mongoose. Oh, yeah, including rheumatoid arthritis, gouty <laughs> phlebitis, Aww. elephantiasis, melanotic sarcoma. And something called Barbados leg, <laughs> yeah, Barbados
1: leg, dude. It's I, 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 Barbados leg is when one of your legs is on vacation and the
3: other one has to go to work. Oh, that's sad. You just gotta drag it behind you. And Jeff thought that this listing of ailments was the funniest fucking thing in the world. Now, why? I don't know. But he loved he, it. He, he just he, loved it. He loved it. The entire list was punctuated <laughs> with what the Irvings described as high-pitched, satanic laughter. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, I, you know,
1: why mess with what makes him laugh?
2: Yeah. No, that's that's funny for him. I'm happy he's laughing through the pain.
3: Yeah, it's yeah. the best medicine I've heard. Jeff also once, and only once, threatened the family with violence. He
1: did. Yeah, I mean, it, it was yeah. He did it that one significant
3: time. Here, are we talking mass murder? It's casual violence. I, I would say oh, he. Good. It was a casual mention. of more. It, it was kind of like a nice family shame if something happened to it. Uh, he yeah. would mob with it. Okay. Yeah, This is the, the actual quote from Jeff.
0: You don't know what damage or harm I might do if I were roused. I could kill you all if I liked. But I won't. If you are kind to me, I will give you good luck. If you are not kind, I will kill all your poultry. I can get them wherever you put them.
3: Well, better be wherever nice you to you him.
0: Wherever you put them! <laughs> better be nice to him, then. <laughs>
3: Jeff was also exceedingly strong for an animal of his size, able to push a 12-pound chair around his sanctum. You could almost take him bowling. (laughs) Jeff said he did it for the exercise.
2: (laughs) He's like that old man who would exercise on chairs.
1: Yeah, he was doing little workouts. It's so fucking cute. I actually... (laughs) Natalie, um, there was a period of time when Jackie was, when she was living with Natalie and I, Jackie went through this period of time where she loved weights. Like, she liked strapping weights to her legs in her arms because she's just like her our our wonderful mother who goes through like aerobic phases mm, right yes and so Jackie was in an aerobic phase and just leave these little weights around, these leg weights, and Wendy used to drag them around. And I used to say, oh, that's Wendy working out.
2: <laughs> that's kind of fun for the family. Yeah, kind it's cute. I was like, she's going to get her neck all thick. Jackie from page seven. Make sure you check out Jackie and everything that Jackie does. Uh, I, don't, I don't think she loved being covered in weights. I think she felt an immense amount of guilt because she had a conversation with your mother, and your mother shamed her, and then she put on weights to feel better, but then she realized that that's not actually what the problem is.
1: I've always said there's nothing more functional and healthy than the relationship of a mother to her daughter and just how there's nothing, there's no weird shit in there ever. It's always straightforward and really just simple and honest and nice. Absolutely.
3: But Jeff could also perform delicate work oh. using his weird little three-fingered human hands to throw needles and even at one point. You drew a little self-portrait. Oh, no it's kidding. Cute. Yeah. yeah, man. Yeah, it's cute <laughs> as fucking hell, dude. All this shit's cute as
2: fuck. It
1: makes Cutest me fucking fuck. just, I fucking love how cute this fucking shit is. I know,
2: this is, this is, uh, I, I feel weird. It's, we're <laughs> in such an adorable little time here.
3: But of course, when it came to the world outside of Dorlish Kishen, it was always the question of whether or not Jeff was actually real. And after, <laughs> yeah. You know. Oh, yeah, in, that
2: big question. Yeah. In
3: Dorlish Kashen, there was no question as oh. to whether Jeff was real or not. But outside, there was definitely a question. And after taking a couple of years off from the subject, parapsychologist Harry Price returned to Jeff the Talking Mongoose. Wow. Guess it came back in the rotation.
1: Yeah, yeah, He's just like, okay, yeah, it came back up. And Harry Price is just like, fuck it. I already masturbated today. I'll go and do this research to Jeff the Talking Mongoose.
3: All right. Well, Price asked the Irving family for some samples of Jeff's fur, and the Irvings claimed that the fur they sent was pulled from Jeff's back and tail. Hmm. But from what Price's contact at the London Zoo said, the hairs most likely came from the dog. Ah! Now you might say, of course they're from the dog. The Irvings probably just clipped some from Mona. But it might also be possible that Jeff, a trickster by nature, Mm -hmm. pulled a switcheroo. Because for the Mm. most part, the only people Jeff really cared about convincing were the Irvings. These bits of evidence
1: remind me of the evidence that has been accrued over time about UFOs, right? The idea of metamaterials and implants all these things that now the TTSA are now firmly in the camp of they are trying to do research on but they they aren't. They are making television shows. But the, <laughs> the stuff that comes out, especially the fucking like the implant nodes and stuff that they found, like all this kind of stuff they found bare enough people's skin. It was, it's, like, it's like weirdly humdrum but also highly strange. It's like a piece of brass will be found up inside a person's nose or a weird piece of silicone will be like found in a person's leg, and no one's quite sure how it got there. It's not like fucking brand new tech that kind of just come... It's not Alienware, like literally Alienware. It is... It just—it's stuff that happens on Earth, but it's in an unusual place. So it's like an, like
2: an elongated silicone tube, almost in the shape of a penis, might be found <laughs> inserted in somebody's anus, and then in order to make an excuse for that action, they say, "I am not gay, my to my wife, I had it was an <laughs> alien implant," mm-hmm. and uh, obviously we all have to believe him.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but even with the dubious origin of the fur. Harry Price still came to Dorlish Cashin in July of 1935 and brought along a BBC gadfly named Richard Stanton Lambert. Now, of course, Jeff didn't speak to either of these men because Jeff knew that Harry Price was a doubter, Ugh. calling him the man who put the kibosh on spirits. And that is a word for word
1: what he said. He did, he did say he called him the man who put the kibosh on spirits, which was like, Whoa. that was... Them, that was their version of saying, like, this song slaps. Like, that was, like, weirdly, like, very current oh. like, slang from Jeff.
3: Yeah. Well, at this point, Harry Price... Remember, Harry Price was the guy who got into the game to debunk the whole... All the paranormal shit. He was like uh, Jay Allen Hynek, who got uh, UFOs to debunk UFOs. Harry Price was the same kind of guy. Okay. But then they pulled
1: him fucking back in. Yeah. Yeah.
3: But after comparing the story of the Irvings to the earlier accounts given by parapsychologist Captain Dennis, Price and Lambert decided that it was actually more unlikely that the Irvings would invent and sustain such a ridiculous story than it would be for Jeff to actually exist.
2: Hmm, okay.
3: Now they did attempt to get Vora by herself to get her side of the story, but Jim not surprisingly didn't feel too comfortable with two strange psychical researchers being alone with his teenage daughter yeah. so they never got the chance
2: no honestly this is the this is the first and only time he's been a good father
3: <laughs> well it's,
1: it's so hard to tell you know like when you tell a father that you need to give your daughter the wink test and at the beginning you're just hoping it's an acronym you know right
3: <laughs> Now, Lambert and Price figured this story was good enough for a book, but they stressed to Jim Irving that a book about a talking mongoose on the Isle of Man was highly unlikely to make a profit.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And the least shocking sentence of the day.
1: That's also, I think, how we did our pitch to HMH. We're like, I don't. Not, I don't think anyone will purchase this, but it should be out
2: there. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks to everyone who bought the last book on the left. Y'all are super sweet. Three weeks in a row on the New York Times bestseller list.
3: It's pretty cool. Yeah, and if you want, if you want your copy, yeah, go to IndieBound. Go, go get it. Thank you. Go so to IndieBound. Yeah. yeah, fuckers,
4: yeah.
3: And after much haggling, they all agreed that if the book sold over fifteen hundred copies, Jim would share the spoils. That was the point in which the publisher would start to make their money back. Okay. Uh, Haunting of Cashin's Gap only sold 350 copies So close though, <laughs> so close <laughs> Publisher lost a
1: lot of money on that one Yeah. I did look up a copy of it Now it's like fucking $1,500 Wow, But damn. Yeah, because
3: there were only 350 copies sold That's the long game, they were
2: playing the long game
1: <laughs> Yeah, they're like, yeah, they wait for their fucking Skeletons to make any money, them and Ben go
3: <laughs> So excited, they're like My tombstone will be very popular Very nice <laughs> Strangely, though, Richard Lambert ended up making quite a tidy sum from the story, albeit in an indirect way. After the book was released, the governors of the board of the British Film Institute, of which Lambert was a founding member, they had him removed. (gasps) Why? Based on the fact that he'd co-written a book testifying to the existence of a talking mongoose... One particularly snobby member called Lambert unhinged.
2: Oh, my God. Meanwhile, they're all reading the Bible. Hello.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Kessel. Thank you. So Lambert took the BFI to court for slander. And and this is fucking insane. A good portion of this slander trial involved Jeff.
1: This is in court. They all sat with their fucking wigs on in the heat all yelling about <laughs>
3: Jeff yeah, okay making their <laughs> snooty little jokes about the size and bushiness of Jeff's tail oh my goodness just trying to make Lambert look ridiculous wasn't there about to be a war or where yeah, we're in, not, this is post-war. No, no, this is 35. Wait, this oh, is, this is, best, yeah, okay. yeah, this is right when things are about to kick off. They should have been keeping yeah. an eye on that old Adolf like, Hitler fellow. Yes. No, 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 no,
1: no, 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 no. Because what happens is <sighs> they needed to keep Jeff the talking Mongoose in the fold. Because imagine how dangerous Adolf Hitler would have been. Yeah. <laughs> If he could have been aided, but the power of this phantom weasel That's true. who could go and tell him where Anne Frank was hiding, fucking way before they got her. Maybe,
2: maybe Jeff the Talking Mongoose could pretend to be a sympathizer, get into Hitler's good graces, then uh-huh. kill him before this whole thing started. Fucking fuck him, fuck him, <laughs> fuck him, shoot him in the head, dude. See little talking Jeff the Talking Mongoose with a little Hitler stash and a <laughs> little Hitler hat.
3: But in the end, the court decided that while believing in a talking mongoose was indeed embarrassing. It was not grounds for dismissal. So Lambert ended up with a settlement that was worth half a million dollars in today's money. <laughs> so he got paid. He got paid. Well, but good for him. Jim Irving didn't get any of that money, and he was a little irked by that. Why didn't he get yep. any of it? He's the one who ruined his life for this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> because, again, he didn't get... He, uh, Jeff, unfortunately, ruined their lives. Unfortunately, that what happens to every person's life who is touched by the paranormal they they all get ruined anybody that's why i always kind of lean on the side of why would anybody do this to themselves (laughs) why would they go and tell everybody in the world i own a talking mongoose yeah if they didn't at least if, if they weren't at least insane enough to believe it if it was fake. Well, that's
3: the Harry Price approach, right? Why would they do that? Yep, why would they do that? Actually, uh, Jim Irving did get offered by Buffalo Bill's Wild West show uh, $50,000 for Jeff the Talking Mongoose. They were going (laughs) to tour him around America like a miniature King Kong. That's awesome!
1: That would have been awesome! (laughs) Just
3: get him a mongoose and put a tape recorder by the side of it. What? What? Lambert, by the way, he went on to author a second book on the paranormal called Exploring the Supernatural, and that was the first significant study of supernatural phenomena in Canada. (laughs) Wow. Okay, cool. But as far as Jeff went, he was back out of the news just as fast as he'd come in. And Jim was able to eventually capture a couple of pictures of the mongoose. But what was claimed to be Jeff could also just be a furry hat placed on a fence. Jeff is the modern,
2: he's he's what pizza rat is for today. <laughs>
1: he honestly, he is Aww. old school pizza rat. He's the first pizza rat. It did look like, the pictures of Jeff do sort of look like what they, at the rate, the rage at the time was fur stoles, like little kind of scarfs, And it did look sort of like that. But that's another mm. thing where if you, if you look at pictures of UFOs or other various weird a cult phenomena at the time, they all just kind of look like half-made. Right. Again, then you just say that they're all fake, but then you're the least fun person I've met at the party tonight, and I don't think I'm going to fucking re-talking to you. You know what I mean? You know- I, I just...
2: I don't know, but the, the fur coat is always very interesting, and the and the fur hat. I don't know why women wanted to look like Sasquatch for such a long period of time. <laughs> now you do the faux fur, but the whole thing, I just think I think it's weird. It's very strange. I mean, granted, we wear leather and stuff. That's the skin, but I just feel like having the fur on you. It's a very. uh it's a very unique thing. I like faux fur.
1: I want one of those big, like Russian hats, those big, like furry hats. I think. But you, you
2: know, in the rain, it's just going to start falling apart. Next thing you know, <laughs> you're you're like you're like a chicken coughing up its own chicken <laughs>
3: fur. You're what do they call rem- feathers? You're just remembering an episode of Seinfeld. <laughs> oh, that could be. That sneaks in there sometimes. That does sneak in there. Well, the last person to show an interest in Jeff was a man named Nandor Fodor.
2: <laughs> I love this guy. It in is no real. way
3: he is over 4
2: foot 10. No <laughs> way. If he
3: is, I'm pissed, actually. Mandor showed up at Darlish Kashen in 1937. He was the research officer for the International Institute for Psychical Research, which of course merged with the British College of Psychic Science in 1938 to become the Institute of Experimental Metaphysics, which soon changed its name again to the International Institute for Psychic Investigation.
1: Okay. And then the whole thing was eventually changed to the
3: Bureau of Unemployed Nerds. (laughs) (laughs) But concerning Nandor Fodor... He spent seven days at Darlish Kishen after corresponding with Jim Irving for two years. And Fodor showed up having already bought into the story completely. He was a believer. Okay, this is very good. Good place to start. But still, Jeff refused to appear. Oh. Much to Fodor's disappointment. Jeff, but he was a believer, Jeff. I don't know
1: why you wouldn't appear. Jeff is losing power. Yeah. Jeff is Jeff is starting to ease his way off of this plane into the next or starting to move farther away from the family to experience more of humanity oh. or it's going back to its own agendas and needs to go back to wherever the hell it came from because maybe it's Jeff's got a wife and family he's been like, he ran out on where he did <laughs> yeah. the whole like I'm going out for cigarettes and then he just never came back. That does happen.
3: Yeah, I, I mean, uh Jeff at this point was being seen less and less. It, it really... Nandor just waited too long to go. I see. But still, based on the accounts of Jeff spitting, coughing, and urinating, Fodor came to the conclusion that Jeff must have been a physical, living, breathing animal. Hmm. Furthermore, he believed Jeff was a talking animal. Maybe not an animal that had been born with the ability to talk, but certainly an animal that had learned the art of human speech. Cool. Which is fucking weird! <laughs>
2: yeah, and that is a bit it's, odd, yeah. It's the
3: weirdest possible explanation. It's very weird, yeah. But Fodor also speculated that Jeff, although physical, right, has still been conjured by Jim Irving himself through an intense yearning for mental stimulation, owing to the entire Irving family going out of their minds with boredom stuck on the Isle of Man. Hmm. He also then updated his views a couple of years later, where he then
1: had some other very interesting idea that Jeff was not only a physical talking mongoose, but that he was sort of possessed by the brain of Jim. That Jim was controlling him psychically from the outside, like this weird combo thing, which I think just involves him just fucking just f- th- thinking that he had a fern and it was weed and he just <laughs> accidentally <laughs> ate a bunch of it like he just went off the fucking reservation
3: as we said jeff had already started to fade by the time Fodor came around in 1937 and the talking mongoose was physically seen for the last time at dorlish kashen in 1939 however when jim fell fatally ill in 1945 his eldest daughter, Elsie, reported hearing strange noises from the ceiling beams just before her father passed on. Jeff came to say goodbye. <gasps> oh, Jeff.
2: Kyle <Heil> Hitler! <laughs> what? what the hell, Jeff? What the what? hell?
3: <laughs> After Jim's death, Margaret moved to Liverpool with Elsie and the property was bought by a dreadful man named Leslie Graham who shot a polecat in 1947 at Dorlish kashen and claimed that he'd killed the beloved talking mongoose. What is the point?
1: That's not what we want. That's not what we want. No. None of us wanted his fucking corpse. Other than fucking the guy's want- wife, he didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> I wanted him to sing and dance. I wanted him to be a showman. <laughs> I didn't want him to be a fucking pelt.
3: Yeah. Yeah. This is why aliens haven't come to visit us yet. Leslie was a dreadful man. He was a terrible man. As far as Bora went, she left the Isle of Man soon as she could and wanted nothing more but to leave the story of Jeff the Talking Mongoose far behind. She gave one interview in 1970, but was still steadfast in her claim that Jeff was indeed real, even 30 years later. (laughs) However, she said that if it would have been up to her and her mother, they never would have told anyone about Jeff. But Jim... Unfortunately, got a little carried away with the whole concept and ended up taking the whole thing way too far. Oh, my goodness. He did a little bit of a Chevy Chase from the National Lampoon movie in
1: this fucking bullshit.
2: Anytime you end up in the court of law (laughs) discussing is the invisible talking mongoose real or not, some things have gone awry in your life.
3: In fact, Vora made the interviewers promise that they would not tell any of her co-workers about the Jeff story. Oh, and God. she maintained that the reason why she could never find a husband was because of her association to Jeff the Talking Mongoose.
2: Oh, Jeff's final revenge. All right, there it is. Well,
1: you know, you could say Jeff wasn't real. Sure. You could say that he was a fair... I mean, you wouldn't be a fun person. No. Um, and I mean, because I don't know. In the end, though... I let Jeff into my heart this week. That's good. I let him in there, and now he's made a little burrow. and I like, I'm going to bring him little bits of bacon, and I'm really excited,
2: and I hope that Jeff visits me in my sleep. Mm -hmm. So you're using this as an excuse for more bacon consumption? Yes. (laughs) Okay, that's great. Jeff the Talking Mongoose, thank you all so much for going on this crazy, magical journey.
3: It was a fun week. A fun, magical week. Yeah, we figured we'd take a little break from the blood and guts and just have fun absolutely have a little bit of goddamn fun trying
1: to have fucking fun around here (laughs)
3: absolutely
2: Uh,
1: next week we're gonna have a relaxed fit episode but then after that we're going to go we're going to go deeper 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 deeper. deeper. into the world of the occult this whole summer getting strange
2: That's right. Summer of strange is upon us. It's getting hot here in New York City. And hopefully the weather is nice where you are as well. Now we're going to talk extensively for an hour about the weather. Uh, So the clouds, should be a little overhead today. We do have a thunderstorm planned.
3: That's Uh true. Oh, we had quite a nasty thunderstorm last night. A couple of my deck chairs got blown over. And (laughs) I really don't have the energy right now to go out and put them back up. There you go. After you enjoy Cloudcast here on
1: LPN. Why don't you go and enjoy a little bit of a... Bullet in the Mouth podcast. Yes. Where we teach you how to get bullets in this trying times, so these hard times where you, the gun stores just aren't open, and you want to make sure you can really blow your brains out. I think the gun stores are open. <laughs> but,
2: um, also, happy birthday, Henry! Once again, congratulations—you've made it um, I to live. this. To this, you made it to this. And that's, I live. and that's great and I'm, we're happy that you live of course birthdays are uh, for the dying mm-hmm. and funerals are for the living so uh-huh. let's not forget that <laughs> let's not forget that And uh, yes. yes thank you all so much for supporting LPN thanks for giving to our Patreon thanks for anything do we have uh, obviously the book again go to Indiebound thank you all so much for buying the book oh. I mean it really is amazing to be on the New York Times bestseller list three weeks in a row it's like exceptionally rare and you know so just it's, thank you all so much yeah. um, and I do I promised a few people that got into my DMs because they were going going through stuff, that I was going to send them a book with a little written word in it. I will send that out, but uh, it's open uh, the the way to send it, the UPS store is closed until May 4th. Yeah. Just give me a little time. Uh, apparently, that's not a necessary business these days. And um, yeah, keep on supporting all the shows here on LPN. We got the stream. Is there anything else, guys? Anything uh, else we want to tell our audience about? Lastpodcastlive.com. Check out our yes. live show
1: because we can't be on the road. So take the road to your home. Absolutely. This is the way to watch us in your underwear, which is what you, how I'd rather you watch us. I wish I'd that you would you show up in the
2: live show in your underwear.
1: Do that. Sure. I mean I would rather I'd rather you do that, but check out Last Podcast Live and also check out LastPodcastMerch.com. We're selling merch. We and we are still giving six point six six percent of all of our proceeds to one fair wage. Absolutely. We got we fucking updated new shit. We've got a bunch of responses last week when we asked if like, do you have some merch that you want us to chill at you? And we are gonna start getting those gears turning.
3: Yes, yeah. we are. we got a super cool new T-shirt out there if you want to go check that out. Uh, and we've, we're have restocked on everything that was sold out uh, previously. So you yes. can go to lastpodcastmarch.com. Yeah. And if you're uh, interested in No Dogs in Space and yes. you've been waiting until the end of the Ramon series to really digest the whole thing, Part 4 comes out next Thursday. So that whole thing's in, and then after that, we're heading on to something else.
2: Hell yeah. Check out all the shows here on Last Podcast Network. And never forget, folks, hail yourselves! Uh, hail Satan! Again, magoostalations, everybody.
1: Hail me. I think we've been forgetting a lot about Satan these days. Have but we? I think that we need to be reaching out more to Satan and see what he can do, because basically what he'll, what will help you do is maybe help convince your partner to try something else in the bedroom during these trying times. (laughs) Yeah, maybe, maybe. That could work. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com.